0: Well, good morning, Life Family. It's good to see you turning your Bibles to Daniel 3. We're going to be in Daniel 3 this morning. I just want to remind you that next week, I hope that you will make every effort to be here next Sunday. We will have Vision Sunday. We have not had a Vision Sunday in quite a while. And as we, are, as we have gone through this, these uh, two years of COVID, we're coming out of it. And I believe that God has shown us as leaders and the elders of this church, um, the, the, the direction of next steps that, we, that God has given to us on what to do as a church. So I really hope that you will make every effort to be here. And if you can't be here, watch it online, because there's some, some amazing things I think God's going God's to do in us and through us. Um, I heard of this question that was asked, and I wonder how you would respond to it. When people were asked this question, if you could know the day and the time when you would die... Would you choose to know that day and time? How many of you would, how many of you, would, no, we're not going to raise hands, you know, but, uh, the, you, uh, you know, when I hear that question, my, I mean, I have to really think about that. 96% of the respondents to that question said, I don't want to know. And it makes you wonder, what what is it inside of us? You know, remember I said last week, we talked about how there's something in us, all of us, we kind of want to know the future. There's something that's mysterious and to have some some kind of certainty in the future. But yet when people were asked, do you want to know what day and what time you will die? 96% of us were like, nope, I don't want to know that. Because there's something about knowing the future for certain that we as human beings can't handle. And, and I, I talked about this a little bit last week that, that uh, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about why God doesn't usually tell us the future. And the major reason for that is we can't handle the future. When, when you think about Nebuchadnezzar, what he heard, he heard about this dream and uh, you know, that there's going to be these kingdoms and, and, and his is the gold kingdom and then there'd be another kingdom after his and silver and then bronze and then iron. And Nebuchadnezzar, takes that, that, that prophecy, and we can see somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has this idea that says, um, no, there's not going to be another kingdom after me. There's only going to be my kingdom. There is not going to be a silver kingdom. There is only going to be a gold kingdom. Because here's what happens. When you and I hear the future, there's, we'll have two responses to that. We will either become fearful of that or we will try to manipulate the the, the future. You can try to control the future and say, no, 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 God, I have a better plan. I have a better option than that. And that's exactly what we see here happen in this passage. There's a number of times when God tells people the future and it never works out well for them. Uh, for example, we see the first time God really tells uh, someone specifically what's going to happen um, when, when uh, Rebecca is pregnant with twins, Isaac and Rebecca, and she has Esau and Jacob in her womb, and, and God tells her that, that the younger will serve the older. Well, we see later on in life, Rebecca manipulates Jacob in the entire Esau uh, situation to get, make sure that, that Isaac blesses Jacob. Now, we don't know what would have happened if rebecca had not intervened but the point is rebecca heard the future and she was consumed with this and so she was trying to manipulate everything we also see this in when jesus tells peter hey listen you're going to deny me three times and what does peter say no not me not me jesus everyone else is gonna you know you know desert you but not me what happens the first time the Romans show, show up, he pulls out a sword. He, I'll show you, Jesus, I'm not going to desert you. And he's just like, put the sword away. This is not about a sword. This is not about a time for war and fighting. But what ends up happening? He ends up denying Jesus three times. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is no different than those other two illustrations. He heard that his kingdom would have an end. And he had to think about that. And his ego and his, his, his uh, desires inside of him said, uh, there's not going to be a kingdom that comes after me. There's not going to be a kingdom of God that will never have an end. My kingdom will have no end. And so what does he do? He decides that he's going to change the future. He decides that he's going to have a kingdom that never ends. He wants Babylon to have the power and the glory and the authority and the majesty that belongs to God alone. And so what we see here is the same thing that's inside, not just, this isn't a Nebuchadnezzar problem, this is a human being problem. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when when Satan told Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And it's from that moment, that temptation of you can be like God, that there's been something in the spirit and in the heart of mankind that says, we want to take the place of God. And what happens is, people, we try to do that individually, but when people do that on a, on a corporate or national level, that's when dangerous things happen. And what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do is he's going to say, we want everyone to be a part of this kingdom. That will, And in order to do that, I've got to manipulate and control everyone and everything. Now, remember, I'm going to go all the way back to Daniel chapter 1. Remember Daniel chapter 1, It talked about how Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they took the articles in the temple and they took them with them. And the whole point of that was to show that they want to take that which is sacred and that which is absolute in value and make it of relative value. Well, what we see is once, once Babylon and once the world systems tears down what is absolute, that is the authority of God, the worship of God, what they will do is they will say, well, no, it's all relative. We can worship whoever you want. But eventually in that void of the absolute, the, the, the world, what Babylon wants to do is make what is relative absolute. See, they first have to tear down the absolute, replace it with the relative, and then they replace the relative with the absolute. I'll give you an example of how this looks in our world today. For example, when I grew up, I, I'm a, I, grew up, I was born in 1976, and so I remember growing up in the attacks, you know, the, the 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 sexual revolution that happened in the in the '60s and '70s was playing out in my childhood. And the, the message that we were here, we heard as I was a child was: "Listen, the standard of waiting to have sex until you're married—that is antiquated. We should just be able to do what is fun, what is enjoyable to us. Throw off the shackles of the absolute. Do what feels good." And, and, and so that has been the message and for, for generations now that they have, a, they have a lived according to that, to that relative standard of, of sexuality. Well, what we see happening today is the elevation of the absolute sexual hedonism above relativism. To say this, you must bow down to the rainbow flag. You must, you must agree to these now standards, and if you speak out against this way of life, you will be condemned. See how they tore down the absolute standard of sexual purity and freedom that God, God developed, that God created, and then what, are they, what do we see now replacing it? The religion, the church of sexual hedonism. And so what, this is playing out in our world today. This is the philosophy, and this is the plan of Babylon. And so we have this story in Daniel chapter 3 of what should we do? If we're going to thrive in Babylon today, how do, we, how do we live our world when Babylon wants to make what is relative absolute? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, everyone just kind of do what you feel like doing. But eventually, the world system says, no, we want to make everyone conform to this one thing. And then they're going to replace God with another God that they make everyone bow down to. And so here's here's what here's the main idea we have for us today that's the story of Daniel or the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. That all of us, all of us will have to decide whether to bow down or stand up. All of us will have to decide whether to bow down or whether to stand up. This this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bowing down to this fiery furnace, is is a Is going to be played out multiple times in our lives. When you live in Babylon, what they're going to make you do is they're going to make you decide. All of we here's what one of all of us have to remember is none of us can escape the decision of whether or not to bow down or stand up. Every single one of us, in our own way, in our own environment. You know, if you're young, whether you're old, whether you go to school, whether you go, to, you work for Bank of America, or whether you work for some other corporation, or whether you're just a neighbor in a neighborhood, we will have a, a million decisions to make of whether or not to bow down or stand up. And so let's read. Let's read the first seven verses of Daniel chapter three to see how these decisions. What are the decisions that 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 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made? That are the decisions that we need to make today. Let's look in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. That's about 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. And, it's, uh, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he's like, I want all of the important influencers to come here. And so that's, that's what he's doing. Verse 3, Then the satraps, the, free, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all of the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, Harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all of the peoples, nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, you notice the, the language that's happening here. Here's the first first thing we're going to have to decide. We're going to have to decide whether to stand up or we're going to have to bow down or stand up against conformity. We're going to have to decide whether to bow down or stand up against conformity. many times it says in here, Nebuchadnezzar had set up, Nebuchadnezzar had set up, Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He is setting up not just an image, he is setting up a system. He is setting up a way of life. He is setting up a a, a pathway, uh, uh, he's setting up a culture to belong to. This idea of being set up, he is not just setting up an image, he is setting up a place to say, listen, all of you must conform to this way of life and worship. And so here's something that we have to understand. Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. This wasn't something that was haphazard. This was not something that he just thought of on a whim. These were not just ideas that he just put together, you know, last week. This is something he had planned out. And here's something I want you to understand, and I think we've mentioned it from the pulpit here many times as we study the book of Daniel. Babylon has a plan to conform you. Babylon, listen to me, young people, young people, if you're younger than 20 years old in this room, listen to me. Babylon, the world system, has a plan to conform your minds, your hearts, your will into the image that they want you to live and conform to. You've got to be aware of that. Parents, you've got to make your children aware of that. And what is, what is Nebuchadnezzar's plan? Nebuchadnezzar's plan. Here's the, four, here's the fourfold plan he has. Number one, create something beautiful and impressive. Create something beautiful and, and impressive that you're like, wow. I mean, that is so amazing. That's so beautiful. Why wouldn't we fall down and worship that? The second thing is influence the influencers. Make sure the leaders, the people that have influence, the people that have authority, the people that are something in the world, that they are the ones who will bow down so that they make everyone else feel below them to that, hey, if I don't bow down, then I'm outside of the norm. And so influence the influencers. Number three, use, the, use music and the arts to dull the senses. Use music and arts to dull the senses. Listen to me. So, there has been more damage done to the biblical worldview of not just non-believers, but within the walls of the church there's been more damage done to the biblical worldview of Christians done by the, mu- the music and the movies and the shows that we watch than anything else. We, have, we, we will intake messages from the world and we will allow them into our hearts and say, well, maybe that's not so bad. And, and so what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, doing, I want you to play this beautiful music so that it just feels right. It feels right to bow down when you hear this music. You've got to be extra vigilant. And again, I know I've I've addressed the young people, but listen, when you are young, you do not yet have the convictions that older people have. You are still moldable clay. And so you, and all of us need to do this, is we all have to have standards of the music we listen to, is it music that honors and glorifies God? Or is the music that we are ingesting, it's just, you know, I just like the beat, I just like the music, I just like, you know, Yes, but what is the message that's coming through? It's teaching you to bow down to another image besides God. And we've got to be vigilant. So create something beautiful and impressive. Influence the influencers. Use music and the arts to dull the senses of our convictions. And then number four, make the cost of rejection high. Make the cost of rejection high. I mean, they're like, hey, we want you to come to this. Hey, we've got this great event. Oh everyone, come. We've got this wonderful dedication to this statue, and, and all these important, and wealthy people are like, "Oh, this is great. We've been invited by the king. And, and so you come to this beautiful event. black tie. We've got our nice gold invitations. You can let me into the party for the dedication of this statue. We're so glad that you're all in the room. We just want you to know, if you don't bow down when the music plays, we kill you. But enjoy yourself today. We've got some hors d'oeuvres over here. We've got some wine over here. This is going to be a wonderful time. But you will die if you don't do what we say. You see what they're doing? It just—it just—they're putting, they're pushing, they're conforming you into something to make it feel like if I don't go along with this, I'm going to stand out. It's going to be costly. And and there might not, we might not have this kind of cost in our in our world today and our nation today it is in our world today but not in our nation today but there's there's a soft kind of totalitarianism that's that's creeping into our to our world and to our country and so what we've got to do is understand that this is the plan that Babylon has for us and for our children and what we we have to do is we then have to say well what's the plan that we're going to have to make sure that their plan doesn't overtake the hearts and minds of us and I think this is really important. And when I think about how we do this, I think the first thing we've got to do is we've got to be, make sure that we don't just say not that to our kids. You know, sometimes there's a reactionary thing that we do. And, and I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, what was it inside of them that was able to say, I'm not conforming to that. I can see what's going on here. I see the game that they're trying to make me play. I'm not playing that game. What was it inside of them? I, I think that it wasn't just not that, but it was a this, not that. I think as, as parents, and I know I used to do this a lot, and I have to be very careful not to do this with my kids, is if we, all we do is point out all, all the bad things that are in the world, I mean, that's a good thing. But, you know, and we've got to be vigilant. We don't just say, well, I never talk to my kids about the music and the movies and, and the world and, and the systems and, and the plan that Babylon has for their hearts and their minds. It's one thing to not talk about it. But I think sometimes what Christian parents can do is we can turn into, I'm going to isolate them and just say, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. And one of the things that we've got to do, especially as the church, and as parents, and as grandparents, and as influencers of the next generation is to say this, not that. Show them something more beautiful. Show them something that's even more good. Show them something that is, that, that is so satisfying to them. And I think about, we've gotta, be, we've gotta point out the that, like not that, but we've also gotta provide opportunities for the this, not that, you know, I, I, I can look back at my life as a parent and I've, I'm towards the tail end. I know I'm always be a parent, but I'm tail end of my kids living in my home full time. And as I look back, there's a lot of evaluation that Liz and I are doing with our parenting. And there's some, there's some things I can honestly say, man, I wish that we had done better in this area. Uh, but the one thing I know that we did is we, we gave them some opportunities of the this, not that. And one of the best things we did is we took our kids every single summer to Lake Ann camp. Up in Michigan, and I'll tell you what—that was one of the best decisions we ever made because it was a camp that was like, it was like Jesus Disney World, man. And, and my kids, they Lake Ann Camp was the highlight of their year—not just the summer their year. I remember one year we said, "Hey, we—you know—would you rather, you know, Lake Ann Camp is expensive. Would you rather go to Disney World or would you rather go to Lake Ann Camp?" They're like, "Are you kidding me, Lake Ann?" We're not going to Disney World. It was such a highlight for them every single year to deepen their relationship with Jesus, to be in a camp where there's hundreds of young people and to make Jesus like this, this amazing experience to, to learn about him and grow and, and the friends that they have for their life, they met at this camp. And I just think back like that was one of those moments I, we gave our kids a this, not that moment and we've got to do that. We've got to show them that, hey, this is to, to belong to something. I think one of the best things that we can do to fight against the conformity is, the, is to give each other community. Community is the antidote to conformity, to realize, though, no, we still belong to another group. And that's why I think coming to student life is so important if you've got a young person. That's why it's so important for you as, as adults to belong to a life community, to belong to a life university class, to go to a men's and women's Bible study that you belong to a group where you can share, they're trying to make me think like this, they're trying to make me live like this in my work, in my school, in my, in my, my friend group, and I need your prayer, I need your encouragement, I need your support. Community, And that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that they were gonna stand up against this conformity. But here's the thing that I think gave them the strength. It wasn't just the convictions they had about what was true and beautiful. It was also the fact that they knew there was a guy standing next to them. That I'm not alone in this battle. But we've, we've got a lot of things before us. And one of the things, I, one of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans 12:1 and two. And, and, and th- th- this verse is I, I, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When I think about that phrase, I don't think there's a better phrase that, that embodies what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You see, there is always a plan to conform you into the image of this world. It will happen. It's the waters we swim in. And we've got to make our minds up now that I will not be, I will not conform. And the younger you are, the softer clay you are. But let me just say this, even if you are young and sitting in this room, the way to harden your heart against the world, or I should say harden your convictions against the world, is to have an experience with Jesus where you know he is real. All of us in this room have to decide whether or not we truly believe that Jesus is real and good and true and beautiful, and his path to follow him is worth it all. It's worth it all. It's only a relationship with Jesus that changes the the softness of our wills and our convictions to be hard to say, I will not betray the one who died for me. I will not love something more than the God who loves me. When we understand that, we we are able to stand up against the conformity that they want to push you into. And so we've got to stand up against conformity. There's another, another decision we've got to make. It's in verses 8 through 25. This is a longer section. But let's read it. It says this, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, here's the thing. When you stand up against Babylon, people will tattle on you. It's just going to happen. It's not going to be like, well, just let, you know, let them do what they want to do. No, 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 no. If, if, if they, they are going to force you to bow down to the religion that they want you to bow down to. And so that's exactly what happened. They maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, let's just stop right there. You can tell. Why are they doing this? They're jealous. There's always jealousy and envy behind accusation. We don't like these guys. They have a higher position than us. And therefore, and again, they had this position going back to last chapter. Why? Because of Daniel's dream. They've been placed in a higher position, and they're not going to bow down to this image. And so now they're attacking them. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, you know, it would have been great if Daniel would have just said, let's say musical instruments at this point, okay? <laughs> horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace? And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Ah, don't you love that question? Once again, we saw this in the last chapter. Remember when the, when the, when the, when the wise men went to when Nebuchadnezzar said, there's no one, there's no one on earth can, that can foretell this dream. There's no one, the, the gods would have to come down and be able to do this. See, their worldview was still broken. It was still not right. And so Nebuchadnezzar is like, who's able to save you from my power and from that fiery furnace? See, Nebuchadnezzar had no idea the God that that they served. And I love this verse. This is the verses that Kristen read this morning. These three verses, man, this is the response that just gives me goosebumps. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We serve a God who's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. The the, the second decision we're going to have to make, we're going to have to decide whether or not to bow down or stand up against safety and security. Bow down or stand up against safety and security. This is something that they had, Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already decided If it costs us our life, it costs us our life. And this response to Nebuchadnezzar does not go over well. Nebuchadnezzar has an anger problem. We saw this last chapter. When he doesn't get his way, he tears people. He threatens to kill people. And he's doing the same thing here. He's already filled with rage. And look what he says in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent... And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We see God do something here miraculous. Miraculously delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God shows up. And when I think about why why were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego able to stand before the king and say, we're not going to bow down. I think it goes back to they, they knew a God who was real and true and more beautiful than any of the gods and any of the images that they had seen in Babylon. They could not be impressed with, the, with Babylon's system, with their values. They, they had already rock solid believed in something that was good and true. But I think there was something more. And I, this is something I've said every single week, and I hope you pick this up every single week. Daniel and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they knew the word of God. They knew the word of God. And when you know the word of God, it will give you a sense of faith, and it will give you a sense of courage that you would not have otherwise. Why did they have so much courage? Why, were they, why did they have so much boldness? Why were they able to stand in the face of, in their culture, absolute authority and power, and say, we don't care what you think. We don't care what you do to us. Is because they believed in something greater and they believed in the promise that was greater than the threat that Nebuchadnezzar gave them. I want you to see this. In, In Isaiah chapter 43, a prophecy made 150 years before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in this moment. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, we'll have these verses on the screen. Here's Isaiah speaking he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Now, that is, that is a declaration of their past deliverance. But look what he says, and when you walk through fire... You shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. The reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand up and say, we don't really care if you throw us in that furnace, is because they had a God that they believed could deliver them through fire. And why did they believe that? Because the word of God said it. The word of God said it. I can deliver you. And they had the faith that said, you know what? Remember, remember what Isaiah said. Remember what Isaiah said. Hey, guys, we're, we're probably going to die. Yeah, but, but remember Isaiah. This could be the time that, that was prophesied. We might be the fulfillment of this prophecy that we will be able to walk through fire. This could be the moment that we show the world that there's a God who is better than any God. Yeah, let's do this. See, there, there was a conviction, and there was a, there was a standing up and said, you know what? The safety, you know, God, God can deliver us, but if, even if he doesn't, we're going to be okay. I love this quote by, by, uh, by John Lennox. And again, I will reference his book, uh, Against the Flow, as he wrote this book about the, the book of D- Daniel. But he, uh, there's a great quote by John Lennox in this book. He says, there's an important matter of principle here. God is a great deliverer, but he will not deliver us from having to make our own decisions. God is a great deliverer, but he will not deliver us from having to make our own decisions. See, most of us, when we pray God, we, we pray. how many times do we pray to God for safety? God, protect us. God, protect us. God, protect us. God, protect us. There's nothing wrong with asking God to protect you. But when your protection and your safety trumps your your faithfulness to God, that's a problem. And what I love about this statement is, listen, there's no guarantee that God will protect us in all situations. You know, we don't follow Jesus out of safety concerns. We don't follow Jesus because of safety. We follow Jesus because he is worthy of it. And Jesus, does not, Jesus never guarantees us safety in fact many times he says hey count the cost of what it means to follow me count the cost other t- another place he says, don't fear those who can kill the body fear that fear the fear the god who can kill the body and the soul jesus never guarantees our safety when we follow him but he does guarantee our salvation he guarantees our salvation and and, and their salvation was secure Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their salvation was secure. They would either been delivered from the furnace or they would have been delivered to God. But their salvation was sure. You know, here's, here's what I think is, is for us today. So, so what do we do with that? What we do with that is this: when there is an opportunity where the safety, our security, our job, our whatever it is, is at stake. We've got decisions to make. Uh, this could affect my employment. This could affect my raise. This could affect my social standing with my friends. This could affect, you know, what school I go into. It's called the scholarships that I make. Uh, there, it's gonna, the, we are living in a, in a nation today that every year that goes on, unless there's a movement of the Holy Spirit, it will cost us more to say, I follow Jesus and I will not bend the knee to your way of life. It's going to cost us more every year. But we have to ask ourselves, is he worth it? And, and, and many of us, That's when we are in, that, in this situation, We've got to decide before we decide. See, all of us, we've we, we got to make that decision before we're put in that situation. And, and John Lennox tells this story that, um, uh, in his book, how he went to Russia right after the Iron Curtain fell, and when communism fell, and he went to Eastern European countries and to Russia and to talk to some of the church leaders there that had been through the persecution, had been through the gulags, had been through so much torment. And, and as he's hearing these stories, the, the, the one pastor, he was, he was sharing his story of how he stood up against the Russian authorities and, and maintained his testimony in this Russian gulag. He could tell that John Lennox's mind was starting to churn. What would I have done? See, these, these stories right here, what, what, they are, what they are written for is for us to ask the question, I wonder what I would have done. If I was in the shoes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what would I have done in that moment? And so as John Lennox is hearing this story of of this pastor share his testimony, the pastor turns to him and says, you're wondering if you would have made the same decisions as me, right? And he said, yeah, you're right, that's what I'm wondering. He said, I used to wonder the same thing. And what I will tell you is, God will give you the strength and the wisdom and the power in the very moment you need it. And not before that time and not after it. We serve a God. If you're wondering, man, how would I handle that? Listen, God will give you the strength. God will give you the confidence. God will give you the boldness in the moment when we say, all right, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to show up. Help me to say the things I don't know what to say. You know, there's a difference. When you read how the disciples talked in the book of Acts compared to how they talked in the Gospels, there's a difference, there's a difference between how Peter spoke but in Acts and how he spoke in the Gospels. And the only difference is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has control of your life, this is something you don't need to worry about. It's also something that we need to remember that, that here's, here's the most beautiful part about this entire story. When we read this, it should make us think about this one thing, that Jesus chose the fire Jesus chose death for us. He is the one who ultimately stood against the the system of the world and said, I am here not to bow down. I'm here not just to stand up against the world system, but to overcome the world system, and I will do it with my life. Jesus chose the fire for you, knowing that that he would not be delivered from the fury of of, of, of the kings of men and he did that because he loves you and so when we have the opportunity to choose the fire above safety we can choose the fire we can choose to stand up against safety because Jesus is worth it and because he what he did for us but there's a final decision we've got to make And it's in verses 26 through 30. Let's read the final section here. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps and prefects, governors and king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Now I want you to do something. Circle or underline that word power. Circle and underline that word power. Their he- their ha- the hair on their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. There was no smell of fire that had come upon them. See, this was a supernatural event. This was not like, man, it's really hot. Let's just kind of hold on. It was kind of like, man, it's kind of cool in this fire. There was no effect of the fire on them. They didn't even smell of fire. It wasn't like, whoo, singed our hair a little bit, but we made it. No, this was a supernatural God presence with them. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. See, when we stand up for God, the world will take notice. And they, they will respect you more than if you bow down. In verse 29, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The third decision we've got to make is we've got to decide to bow down or stand up against authority bow down or stand up against authority. There's two things that are here in this passage that we need to understand. That word power, it said they saw that the fire had no power over them. Now that word power, when we hear power, there's two ways that we can take the word power. The first is this idea of strength or this idea of ability, that, that I don't have the power to overcome this force against me. And that's one way of using the word power. The other word that we use the word power is the idea of authority, that I have the power to make a decision. I have the power to, to make, to, to make uh, you know requirements of things, all right? Now, what's interesting about this word is that instead of using the word power as in the fire had no ability or force to consume their bodies, the idea was that this fire had no authority over them. It's the word authority. It's the word "rule." It's the word that is used that's used to describe a king and their rule over subjects. And so what, he is, what God is saying is, listen, there's only one God. And this, this story is to make you feel like, listen, that there's only one ultimate authority. And what I love about this authority is that this is authority that, that, is, that is above every earthly authority. But what else, I, what else I love about this story is that it is an authority that is not distant, but it is close. When Nebuchadnezzar were thrown into the furnace, who showed up with them? Now, now Nebuchadnezzar calls it an angel. We don't necessarily know for certain who it is. Some people might think, think it's Michael the archangel. I believe it was, I think it was a pre-incarnate uh, incarnation of Jesus. I think, I think the Son of God came down and said, I'm here with you. You're not alone. And so we're going to have to decide, You know, in our minds, in our hearts, when, when the world's authority feels like they are in charge, they have the ability to do something to us, we have a decision to make what rule, what authority we're going to trust in. Are we going to trust in an authority that is over every earthly authority and say, listen, you can play this game. I'm not playing it. I'm not going, I'm not going along with this system. I'm, I, you know, it's, it's the difference between, you know, do you ever hear there's a saying that, that we use today in our, in, our, uh, in our vernacular? You know, he's playing chess while they're playing checkers. Do you ever hear that? What, what do we mean by that? What we mean by when someone's playing chess and the other person's playing checkers is someone's playing one game that's very simple, you know, playing checkers, you can teach a five-year-old how to play checkers. Chess is a whole nother level. And when you play chess, you really have to learn strategy. You have to understand, you know, it's not just like, I'm gonna put the horsey here. You know, like that doesn't, you're not gonna get far in chess by just like, I like the moving the horsey around. That's not it. There's strategy, you gotta think You've got to think moves ahead, multiple moves ahead, all these different variations of what's going to happen. And, and there's a difference between playing chess and checkers. And what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing is they're playing chess while Nebuchadnezzar's playing checkers. Because they know there's a, there's a, there's a better king. There's a bigger king. There's a stronger king. And we're playing by his rules, not yours and we, we play by his rules and not yours, when your rules come against ours, we're, not going, we're just not gonna do it. We're not gonna bow down to your authority. There's a greater authority, and it's the authority of Jesus Christ. And so when we stand up against the authorities of this world and the power structures of this world, we will testify to everyone else around us that we are playing a different game. We live in a different kingdom. We serve a different king. And when we do that, what we hope is that helps people ask questions. How, how did you do that? How are you able to stand up against it? Because in that, that will give you the opportunity to share with people the beauty, the wonder, and the truth of Jesus. A couple of questions and then we're done. Number one, I've said this, this morning is all about decisions. The decisions that we have to make, and the first question I have for you is what decisions have you made so far? As you look back on your life up until this point, have there been decisions where you have bowed down? I'm gonna blend in. I'm not gonna stand up or stand out for, for God. What are the decisions you've made so far in your life in your work environment? What are the decisions you've made so far in your family? What are the decisions you've made so far in your school? What are the decisions you've made and before we can move on, let's just take inventory of where we are today to say, what have, have I bowed down to that image, to that system? Have I conformed too much? Have I cared more about my safety and security than the glory of Jesus? And the second question I have for us is this, which decision for you is the hardest? When we think about conformity, I just want to blend in. I don't want, to, you know, I don't want anyone to, to think that I'm weird or anything like that. I just, I just don't want to stand out. Or it might be safety. Man, I, I don't know if God's going to take care. I could lose my job if I don't go along with this plan. If I, don't, if, if I say something, I could lose my job. How much are we trusting God for our safety? Or is it authority? Man, I, just, I care more about what they think than what God thinks. They're the, ones that are, they're the ones calling the shots and they're the ones who I'm going to listen to. Which for you is the hardest in this moment? And then the third question is this. How are you going to stand up this week? God is going to give you, I don't care what your environment is, God's going to give you an opportunity to stand up. Or you have the decision to bow down. What decision will you make? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And as we end our time this morning, I want to encourage all of us just just to think through that last question. How willing am I to bow down or stand up this week? What is God asking me to bow down or what is he asking me to stand up for or to? And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I sh- can really stand up for Jesus or for God because I don't really know if I really love him and trust him the way that you're talking about, Ben. And if you don't, if you're still wondering, if you, if you have that kind of faith in God the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, let me, let me tell you, you can have that kind of faith this morning. It's, it's, not, it's not about, I've got to go to, you know, 10 classes. It's, it's about you turning over your life to Jesus in a way that says, I'm trusting in you, Jesus, for, that you love me enough to, to, to pay the penalty for my sins. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. You are worth it all. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live for the praise of man. I'm going to live right now for the rest of my life for you you can make that decision. If you want to learn more about how to make that decision, come see me. We have got a prayer team out in the lobby that will help you make that decision. Answer any questions you might have. But let's walk out of here today with a sense, with the fortitude and the courage that we are going to make decisions this week not to bow down, but to stand up. Father, as as we reflect on this, in this moment, I pray for every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would give them courage in the face of fear. For God, many times you don't take away fear from us. What you do is you just give us the boldness and the courage to face our fears. And so, God, I pray that we would not have a spirit of fear in this room about what what we face in this week, but that, God, we would have power, love, and a sound mind that we have in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I believe that you are going to give us opportunities to bring you glory and fame in a way that we never have in our lives. God, you you have led us to study this book for such a time so that, God, we would be prepared for the days that lie ahead. And, God, I pray for the young people who are walking in their schools on Monday morning that, God, give them the, 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 the conviction and the love for you that is greater than anything else in this world. For every person walking into that corporate office this week, God, give them the courage and the fortitude and the love to help them not to bow down but to stand up. God, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we know that you are in us and for us and with us in the fire. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing to our Lord.